When you go to weddings, there's often a chapter of Scripture that's read. Anybody know what chapter of Scripture it is that's read all the time? 1 Corinthians 13. Do you know where we are today? 1 Corinthians 12. Busted! <laughs> yeah, 1 Corinthians 12. We're in the second half of uh, 1 Corinthians 12. So why do I show... I mean, doesn't that video sound like it's 1 Corinthians 13? It's like basically the same message. Why would I show that in 1 Corinthians 12 instead of 13? Well, the reason is because the framework there... You see how the... I, I love how the, it was like the tree. And you see the tree? And it keeps like pointing to spots in the tree, like text comes out of the tree. But, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is what? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love It's the, it's the first fruit of the Spirit. And so you're looking at that tree in the video, and it doesn't show fruit. It's showing the structure because the fruit grows up out of something else, and the love grows up out of something else. And 1 Corinthians 12 shows us a framework and an understanding of how we're connected and how we're knit together and how love is supposed to flourish in the middle of all of that. So... 1 Corinthians 12 is about spiritual gifts and how God designs the community, the body of Christ. Chapter 13 tells us about how it's all supposed to function, which is in love. And we'll get to that, but not today. So today we're in the second half of chapter 12. I want you to picture with me uh, a, a dad who is in like late 60s, early 70s, and he's been working incredibly hard his whole life. And he lives overseas in, somewhere in Eastern Europe. And he's about ready to retire. He's going to retire in a year. And what he wants is he has adult children back home in the States. And he's asked them to, to take care of a project for him. He wants to build a home that he and his wife are going to retire in back in the States that's near where they live. And so what he does is he gives his oldest child, his daughter, he gives her blueprints for this house that he once built. And then the next oldest one, the son, he gives the deed to the, to the land where it's going to be built. And then another one of his kids, he gives the seed money for, uh, for the down payment on, this jo- on, the, on the building. And then another one of the kids, he gives all the lumber to build the house because he actually wants them to physically build the house too. And he knows they're going to need help, so he gives someone else, uh, co- one of the other kids, all the contact information for the contractors who he'd like to help them out with. And then he gives his youngest son, he gives all the tools, these tools to actually do the work with the lumber. And he gives them each this different stuff. And he says, all right, in a year, I'm going to be home. Please have the house built for me. How do you think it's going to go? I mean, that could go one of two ways, couldn't it? It could go really cool and be like a great family project for them to do together while they get to honor mom and dad and build this house. Or it could go really bad, right? And what determines how well that's going to go? Really, at the core of it, what determines how well that's going to go is how selfish they're going to be. And how, if it's going to be about them or if it's going to be about each other and mom and dad. You know, that's what determines it because what we get hung up on all the time when we have projects together is our own individual identity. Isn't that what we get stuck on all the time? Our own sense of legitimacy, our own sense of significance, our own identity. Am I, how important am I in this whole thing? And what ends up happening is, is it'd be easy for those kids to say, you know, after a while, well, I'm the one who has the money, you know, or how come she's the one who got the blueprints? Dad knows I'm smarter than her. You know, and there could be that sort of thing that starts to take place where there's identity struggles and legitimacy struggles because we look at that person and does it make them special that they have this thing from dad? And did dad love them more because he gave them whatever? And of course, this is the way it works in our relationship with God where he's given us a project to work on as a church. He's given us a mission 
He's given us a mission together to work on. And, and we each have the possibility together of working together and fulfilling that mission if we can be at a spot where we're like, God loves us. I don't have to compete. I don't have to have sibling rivalry here. I want to work together with my brothers and sisters in order to accomplish what God wants for us. In that case, things can go really well, you know? In the other case, when I'm still not sure of my identity, when I don't know how much God loves me, when I haven't received that love from God, and I'm still searching for my own sense of identity and all of that, then, then I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to be jealous, and I'm going to have all those struggles, and the project's going to be more about me proving myself to dad or competing with my brothers and sisters than it is going to be about actually blessing mom and dad with what they gave us to bless them with. And this is really what the first few verses of uh, chapter 12 were about. And if you remember what was going on is there's those, this group of people called the eschatological people. You remember that group of people in Corinth? They were the ones who kind of thought they had already experienced the resurrection of Jesus. And so they thought they were like the angels. And remember, the angels aren't, aren't married or given in marriage. And so in chapter 7, when we dealt with the whole idea of marriage, that was that group of people who were like, oh, yeah, we don't engage in physical intimacy anymore in the marriage or anything like that because we think that's for, you know, like humans. And we're like the resurrected humans at this point. And Paul was like, that's not going to go well for your marriage. You know, you got to get that figured out. You know, live, you're, you're still here. Even though God's redeemed you, you're still here living in this world. And you need to know, be grounded and live in this world with the redemption of God. And he keeps having to deal with these people who are trying to be uber spiritual and be special. And when, now when he's dealing with the spiritual gifts, what's going on is you remember last time when we talked about it, there were some gifts that became like the rock star gifts. Right? And so they'd come together for corporate worship and there'd be these people who were speaking in tongues and, and it was like, when they would do that, they'd be like, whoa, like that's pretty cool. Like they actually are kind of the spiritual ones and that's special and it felt like they, again, it proved that they were kind of on this other level of spirituality. And, and Paul's trying to keep them grounded and so there were those principles that he went through with them and he says, first of all, everything that's spiritual isn't from God. There's all sorts of other spiritual stuff too. So don't, don't like just assume everything's God. Secondly, is that anything that is good and spiritual comes from God. So don't get high on your horse because it came from God, you know? And that was, that was the big deal. We needed God. The last, that, that, that part of the uh, chapter was really about God. We need help. And so he gives the spiritual gifts in abundance to help each other out. And there are supernatural and spiritual things that God will do for the body of Christ to help us out. And he will still heal, and he will still gives a, give us word of knowledge. God will still do incredible things. And if we will have faith, and we will watch, and we will trust him, God does incredible things. And he doesn't tend to put on a big show. God doesn't do this to say, like, look out, check out the pizzazz of God. You know, he's not striking a pose for us with his works. He's doing it when brothers and sisters come together, and they want to love each other. And they don't have the means to love each other on their own. He gives them the gifts they need in order to love each other. And under the radar, when there's all these questions and all the struggles in life, you know, under the radar, God does spectacular things to allow us to bless one another. And those are the spiritual gifts. But if they become about our personal identity, quickly we find that God kind of removes them and we don't see them anymore because we get hung up on our own stuff. And God doesn't, God doesn't just let them be there just for us to use for whatever purpose, you know? And that's why 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter is coming to help us understand this. Now, what we understood was in the project that he's given us, he gives us these gifts to accomplish the task. 
But here's the thing. As we move deeper into this chapter, in chapter 12, we realize that it's much more than just a project. That what's going on in this chapter, he paints a picture of the body of Christ. And this, the church, it's much more than just he gave us a job and we're a team who's supposed to accomplish the job. It's much more than that. What he's actually saying is Jesus himself wants to reveal himself through the church. This isn't just a project. This is a person. This isn't just a job that we're supposed to do. This is Jesus revealing himself through his body, the church. And so what's happening in this chapter here is we see not only how God helps us accomplish his mission, but it's how God reveals himself through the body of Christ. And that's the rest of chapter 12, starting in verse 12. And we're going to read that together. So you can stand with me, please, in honor of God's word as we read it. I'm going to pray before we read it this morning. God, I just thank you for your word. This is, uh, this is food for us. This is blessing for us. This is roadmap and blueprints for our lives. But this is the story of our dad, our father, our God. And as we read your scriptures, we understand that you are attempting to reveal to us who you are and how we fit within the picture. And so we honor your word today. We stand in honor of it because we respect the fact that this is a work of craftsmanship like none other. And we receive your story and we receive your creativity as a blueprint for our lives. So as we read it, we ask that you would wash over us, that you would wash our minds, God that we would be washed in the water of the word, as Ephesians 5 said, as we read it. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 12, the body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if, an, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker and indispensable are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and is giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. Each of you is part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues are all apostles, are all prophets, 
Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the greater gifts. And may God add blessing to the reading of his word. You can have a seat. Probably wondering why that last phrase got left off there. That last phrase actually belongs to chapter 13. And so we'll pick that up next week. That's whoever designed the chapter. It wasn't the Holy Spirit who put the chapters in there. They weren't there originally. And whoever put those chapters in there, they were human and they messed up sometimes. And we're here to correct them and say that that actually belonged in chapter 13. You'll see it next week. Okay, so anyway, this, this picture of the body of Christ that Paul paints for us, there's two things that are awesome about this picture. It reveals not just the doing of Christ, the job that, that Christ calls us to, the mission of Christ, but it also reveals the being of Christ, who Christ is, and he's revealing himself. He's not just revealing his, his work and his job and his project. He's also revealing who he is, okay? So it's both the being side and the doing side in this thing. And, and what, we, what is a, a beautiful picture here is that Paul actually assumes that we understand that because it's a body, he uses this imagery of body, because it's the body, it does stuff. Bodies do stuff, right? That's why there's flesh on top of this spirit. In a physical world, why are we not just spirits? Why does God give us a body? Because we live in a physical world and we do stuff with the body. We smell stuff, we see stuff, we touch stuff, we walk places, We embrace people. We do things with our hands. We work. We do all of that, and that's because we have a body. And so when he says we're the body of Christ, part of the assumption is that that means we're doing stuff for Christ. That when we're the hands and the feet of Christ, it means we're doing stuff. We're getting stuff done. But interestingly, in this passage, the main thrust of the passage is not about mission. See, mission is the stuff that we do, right? When you say that, that the, the army has a mission, they go on a mission, it means they're trying to accomplish something. When, a, when you go to your workplace and there's a mission statement, what's the mission statement about? It's about what it is that you're constantly trying to accomplish. Mission is about what you're trying to accomplish. Is there mission in the Bible? Are we, is the body of Christ, is, is the church given mission? Uh, I, that, that's a yes or a no, actually. It's that simple. Yes, thank you. Now I'm going to ask you something more complicated. What, name some mission that's in, the, that's in the text, somewhere in the Bible. Does it, what is mission for us? Nice. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. At the end of Matthew, at the end of Matthew, is something we call the great commission. That's mission with, commission. We do it together with God. Great commission. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded them. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, God gives us a mission together with Him, and that's to go and make disciples. Why? Because we were designed, we were created to be in relationship with God, so we teach others to be in that relationship with Him. So the mission is to help people be in relationship with God. Is the mission the end-all and the be-all of life? Are we designed for more than just doing stuff? We are not machines. God did not make us just to get stuff done. He made us to be something. If, if the most important thing for Jen and I is just our mission, you know, well, then we're going to miss something about our relationship. A relationship isn't defined just as mission. Now, you know, in the workplace 
You, you hope that the, that the relationships have more than just mission, but you know the end, the, the bottom line at work kind of rules, right? And you're getting stuff done. So you, you learn that you're going after the mission. But it, how about in family? There's more than just mission, right? For Jen and I, there really is. There's more than, for one of our missions right now is to raise kids the way that, you know, God tells us we should be raising our kids. And that's a mission. Believe me, and all of us parents know it, it's a job. Man, it's hard, you know? It's not easy to raise kids. It, it takes work, and, and it's a mission. It's a job, and we joyfully go after it. We tackle it. Sometimes we joyfully go after it, and we tackle it, and we go after it. But for five years, before Jen and I had our little bundles of joy, and there's little bundles of joy all over the place this morning, isn't there? They're all over the place. You see parents having to weave in and out of here. Bye, Josh. Um, you see, you see uh, parents having to weave in and out of here because they're going after the mission. They're taking care of their kids. That's what they're doing, you know? And, uh, and, and that's part of what we do. But for five years before Jen and I had kids, we had a relationship before that, you know? And yeah, what was the mission? I have no idea what the mission was back then. Who cared about a mission? We were enjoying one another. And we were more concerned with something other than just the mission. And you know what the, what's deeper than mission? is Purpose. Purpose. It's a cool name for you, for Project Purpose. It has project, which is mission, and it has purpose, which is, is actually purpose, you know? And, and for us, purpose is deeper than mission. Because when you look at the scriptures, we are called to a mission, lots of missions. One of them, the biggest one, is go into all the world and make disciples. But there's other missions too. Feed the poor, take care of the needy, uh, be salt and light in the world. There's all sorts of mission that God gives us through the scripture. But deeper than mission, God defines something else when he creates us, and that's our purpose. Why we exist is not just to do stuff and to get stuff done. Why we exist is much deeper. You know why we exist? Why do we exist? What's our purpose? To glorify God is one of them. And the other part of it is to enjoy God. We're to enjoy God and glorify God. What does that mean? Enjoy is pretty simple, right? We're to be in a relationship with God. He created us to be in relationship with Him. We're supposed to be connected to Him. But the second part of that, to glorify God, has to do with revealing God. That we're to look like God. You know that project that the dad gave to all the kids? What the dad, of course, hopes is that when he gives them this mission and they're working on the mission together, that they are revealing the positive character qualities of the family in the way they go after the project. That they reveal something good in this whole project together. And when it comes to our purpose, when it comes to our purpose and our mission, over here is our mission. Go and make disciples. Feed the poor. Teach people the scriptures. Be salt and light. And all of those things. Okay, those are all mission. But over here, there's this deeper thing. Okay, and this deeper thing is this purpose where I'm supposed to be with God. And together, we're supposed to reveal God. Now, here's the problem, and this is where things struggle sometimes, okay, is when we have a project, we, first of all, there's a number of different projects, right? And so some of us are really all about feeding the poor, and some of us are all about helping people be disciples, and some of us are making sure we teach the Bible, and, when it, and, and, and you can have a duplicity, you can have a multiplicity of missions. And sometimes we each get hung up on like, okay, I'm about the children's ministry. I'm about the worship ministry. I'm about this ministry. And, and, you know, we each have our mission and, and that's cool. We each are supposed to have a mission and there's diversified mission, but 
But when we're over here in mission, what can also happen is we can get so focused on trying to accomplish our task that we forget about our purpose, okay? And what ends up happening is if I'm all about my task and I forget about my purpose, then the way I do what I do ends up conflicting with what it is that I'm supposed to be revealing. You understand how that works? And what that means, so in other words, what if I'm supposed to make disciples? And the way I interpret that is I'm supposed to get people into church and get them excited about God. Well, I got a great idea. We're going to throw the coolest, wildest party of all time. And we're going to invite the whole world to come to this party. And they might show up because it's going to be insane. It's going to be nuts. And they're going to love this party. And yet most of what's going to go on at this party is completely dishonoring to God. You know, well, then that wouldn't be a good way of, of actually, you know, getting people to come and be a part of the church because I'm violating purpose and revealing the glory of God in order to accomplish my mission. And in the same way, on, on much more realistic levels, what we could say is that I'm running this ministry and I'm getting really frustrated trying to get this ministry done. So now I'm going to be like mean to other people trying to get it done. Well, now I find myself at attention where the purposes of God are, are, are struggle because I'm actually trying to accomplish the mission of God. But, but how I go after that is really important. Here's the deal is that if I want to accomplish the mission within the broader bounds of the purpose, then I have to hold on to God's values, his core values. So how I accomplish the mission is really important, how I go about it. In other words, if I want to reveal God, can I reveal God on my own? No. I need everyone else because I'm just one piece of the puzzle. So what I actually need is I need to work in partnership with others if we're going to see God revealed. As a matter of fact, if I want to enjoy God and know God, I can't know Him completely on my own. And so I actually have to go after my mission in partnership with others if I'm going to know the fullness of Christ. So here's the extrapolations from, from all of that, what Paul's teaching in this uh, analogy of the body. It's this, that if we want to do God's mission most effectively, if we want to accomplish his mission most effectively, and if we want to fulfill the purpose and be the, the body of Christ here in the world that we exist, then there's a key, okay? And the key has two parts. Here's the two parts. One is diversity. We have to acknowledge and celebrate the diversity of God's presence among us. Secondly is oneness. We have to realize that there is only one body. There's not many bodies. There's many gifts, but there are not many bodies. There are not many people. There is one person. There's Jesus. That's it. If Jesus will be revealed then there's only one person, Jesus. But if Jesus will be revealed, he won't be revealed by any one of us individually. It takes all of us because he scatters his gifts among men. And then he tells us as we work together, we can reveal Jesus. But if I will go after my task individually, then I will reveal Tim. You know, I won't reveal Jesus unless I'm revealing it along with everyone else, unless I appreciate the diversity of the gifts and embrace those gifts and work together, then we won't be or do everything that we're supposed to together. On the doing side, you know, uh, it takes all kinds, doesn't it? <laughs> it takes all kinds to accomplish what it is that God wants us to do. And God's, because the missions are diverse, and because God has so much for us to accomplish, it, look at the body. Look at the way it works. You know, if I want to go out and, and, and accomplish anything, 
If I want to swing a hammer and get work done, it takes many parts of my body to get the work done. Just simply for swinging a hammer, you know? I, it takes all sorts of functioning here. You know, I got fingers, I got forearms, I got shoulders, all involved in swinging a hammer. And all those parts have to work together just to get the job done. And if I'm myopic and I only see my part of the mission when it comes to accomplishing what God wants me to do, we're not going to be able to get this accomplished. I need to acknowledge the fact that we can't actually be here doing this if those child care workers aren't back there doing that right now, you know? And we can't be doing this unless these guys back here are doing this, you know? And, th- and there's, there's all sorts of people who are involved. And the preparation of, of we're connecting with God and getting our hearts ready in worship as we're connecting with Him. And then we come in with the Word and expect God to speak back. And then throughout the week, we encourage one another. We call one another. We lean into one another. And there's a, a plethora of gifts all over the place. There's a manifold of gifts all over the place that speak into doing the work of God. Okay, so if that hammer is going to swing, we need to say there are a bunch of gifts and there's a bunch of different things. And Paul, this is what Paul was saying to the church in Corinth. You love this one gift. It's all rock star to you guys that there's these guys speaking in tongues and it's super special. But that's because you guys think it's special to be that. But when it comes to actually revealing Jesus, who cares? Like, who cares who has what unless we work together and are revealing Jesus? We need all the gifts and we need them all to function in unity if we're going to accomplish what it is that needs to happen. And that's not just about gifts inside of a local body. It means we need Project Purpose to do what they do because we can't, we can't do everything. Parker Ford can't do everything, you know? And, and, and there's churches over here who do this and, and there's this church and this ministry who does that. And as we learn to work together, you see the fullness of the body of Christ. But if each church tries to reinvent the entire thing itself, guess what? God doesn't work that way. He puts a little bit of it in this church and a little bit of it in this church and a little bit of it in this person and a little bit of it in this person. And the more that we w- learn to work together and cooperate, the more we see God's will accomplished. And if we can be about the project and about helping each other in the project, then we see God's kingdom being built, just like that dad who asked the kids to build the house. If all they're worried about is, well, we can't do that because we don't, you know, it doesn't work, you know? They've got to be in it as a team wanting to take care of what mom and dad want accomplished. And that's the way it is for the church. If we're going to see God's work done, his mission accomplished. Here's the other thing. If we're going to see Jesus revealed, if we're going to see the person of Jesus, think about this. Think about the analogy the body of Christ. Any person you know in this church right now, any person you know, if you ask, what do you know about them? The first thing that comes to mind is going to be their body. Because you're going to picture them. You're going to see them. You know, you're going to see what they look like in your mind. Yeah, I know who they are. Yeah, that's that person. They look like this. Then there's other things, deeper things that you might start to think about. Right? You might start to think about things that they do around here. And you might start to think about you know, how nice they are or whatever else, or what their talents are. And all, but when someone says, Jesus, what do you think of? What do you see? You may see a picture of some guy with a beard and long hair. You may see a cross. You may see, I don't know what you think of. But according to Paul, Jesus actually has a body here on earth. And we're it. And so what people are supposed to see when they look at church is they're supposed to see Jesus. Literally, they're supposed to see Jesus. 
Now, I don't know about you, but there's been many, many times when I've looked at the church and what I have seen has not been Jesus, you know? And that's not because Jesus isn't present. It's not because the Spirit of God isn't in there. It's because it gets all muddled up with all of our stuff as well, you know? And so if we are actually trying to accomplish the mission of God and get it done, and yet we don't do it the way he's called us to do it in partnership, what ends up happening is we end up revealing something other than Jesus. And we're trying to pretend like we're Jesus, and we know the teachings of Jesus, and we talk about Jesus, and we work really hard to do the things of Jesus. But when people look at us as a church body, what they don't see necessarily is Jesus. Why? Because we're not necessarily Jesus there, you know? This is supposed to be the work of Jesus. And when it becomes the work of men and women, then it stops being the work of Jesus. And we can try as hard as we want to look like Jesus. But guess what? None of us can actually look like Jesus by our own effort. We look like Jesus when Jesus reveals himself through, it, through us, which means that my focus and my energy is not on my own thing and not on just getting a job done. It's on dependence of Jesus. It's understanding there's a diversity. He's spread his spirit out among us. And we need to understand we are one, but we are diverse. All right, so that's kind of the teaching about it. What does that have to do with our lives? All right, what does that have to do with my own walk with Christ, with each of us practically right now? There's two lies that we face all the time in our world. We face them in the church. We face them all over the place. It's these two camps, okay? One of them is individualism, and one of them is institutionalism, okay? We'll call them them today. I'm just throwing those words out. You can name them all sorts of things. You can name them communism, and you could name them, what's the opposite of communism? Capitalism. Come on. Okay, so capitalism, communism, and individualism, and, and over here would be institutionalism, whether it's the whole corporate thing or it's the individual thing. All right, and that's the, that's the struggles, the tensions. We have them in politics all the time. Don't we have these tensions in politics all the time? Whether it's like we're trying to do like this big group thing over here or whether we're letting each person be their own. And we could, believe me, I'm not going to do a big politic thing here, all right? But, but it's important to understand that the mentalities that we struggle with are not just church mentalities. That the, these are human mentalities that we struggle with, all right? And there's these two struggles. Let's first talk about how institutionalism affects the church. For a long time, what people have, have thought, many, many centuries, this was the, the, the kind of ruling thought in the church. And is that my water over there? It's about to run dry. The well's going to run dry. Thank you. Um, so the, uh, what, what the ruling uh, thought process was in the church was that um, the church relates to God and we relate to each other. So, okay, the church is the, the thing that we, we have a mission and, and we relate to God. Each of us, our job is to connect to the church. We serve the church. We become members of the church. We do stuff in the church. We, you know, we all have our part that we play as far as church. We come to church. We connect to church. All of that. Our connection to God is by coming to church and connecting to church. And the church connects to God. That's an institutional mentality. It's a corporate picture of church. It's a corporate picture of a relationship with God. God relates to the church. We relate to the church. Okay? Church is like the middle ground. Okay, that's where, that, that's where we become the people. Uh, that, that's how we relate to them. Does that make sense? You get that? That's the one mentality of church. 
then there's a reaction to that, okay? And the reaction is the individualism, which, and, and it's an appropriate reaction. What happened was with that institutionalism, we got to the place where many people didn't have a personal connection with God at all. They weren't aware of their own personal spiritual gifts. They didn't have a personal relationship with God, their personal prayer life, their own reading of the scripture, their understanding of God, their ability to guide their own family through the presence of God with them. They didn't know that God just dwelled in them. They thought God dwelled in the church and they connected to the church and they lost the fact that they were personally created to have relationship with God. That God, like a dad and a kid, like a parent and a kid, there should be a relationship there that we should have a relationship personally with God. And that went missing. And when it went missing, there was eventually a reaction, an appropriate reaction that says, no, we need personal relationship with God. But what's also happened in this personal relationship with God where we've understood, okay, I have my own personal spiritual disciplines. I read my Bible. I pray. I have my own spiritual gift that I'm supposed to serve God with and all of those things. That's the individualism. What's happened in reaction to the institutional mindset is there's been this individual mindset that's gone so far the other way that now there's kind of like this idea of individualized spirituality all over the church, which means, okay, as long as I'm reading my Bible, as long as I'm praying, as long as I'm doing what it is that I'm supposed to do, then I'm square with God. And yeah, I got to go to church because that's one of the things that I have to do. But the church's job is just simply to make my personal relationship with God work better. That's the church's job. And that is a job of the church. There's no question about it. You know, that it's to equip people and, and, and all of that. But it's, we've gone completely individualized. In other words, we think that my personal relationship with God is the end all and be all. That's it. It's just about me and God. And there's other people who are doing that too, you know, and we get together to kind of try to work at that together sometimes, but it's still really about me and God. And that's the individualism. And what ends up happening is, is we think that we can get the full picture and experience of Jesus on our own which is absurd. I can't experience all of Jesus on my own unless I'm in relationship where part of, of his spirit that's been put in you and put in you, when we come together, I start to be encouraged and rebuked and I start to be rounded out and my perspective broadens and all of these things happen as we become the body of Christ and we encourage each other and we see more and more of the fullness of Christ. But what's happening in individualism, individual spirituality in the, in the church in America is we're getting to a place where we're not functioning as a body anymore. We're losing sight of the fact that without the community without deep relationships with others who can encourage and rebuke and see me and understand me, my relationship with God is so limited and the scope of my understanding of the scriptures is extremely limited. And, and now it's up to me to figure out on my own and maybe with my family what God wants for me. And that's it. And, the, and, and, and like, that's crazy. I'm supposed to be a part of a bigger body and how am I possibly going to know what my position is on the team if I don't have any connection to the team? You know, different kinds of soccer players play different positions really well and ones who play striker have way different gifts than the ones who play goalie, you know? And some guy who plays goalie would never understand how he best fits into the picture unless he understands the team and plays on the team. And and we've gotten to a place where our, our Christianity oftentimes is so individualized that we forget, we don't find out where we best fit because we're not connected, okay? And so that's how this stuff affects us. Now, this is the way it really practically, let's get super practical. When it comes to the church, there's some of us who are, tend to be 
real individualists, go-getters, and uh, we just, like, we're going to accomplish things. I have my gift, I have my spiritual disciplines, and I'm going to do my stuff and get it done. I have my family, we're going to take care of it. Some of those people will come into the church, and they'll just start knocking stuff out, taking care of stuff, getting business done, you know what I mean? And, and so they're running programs, they're running children's ministries, they're running worship stuff, they're, they're taking, and, and they just exhaust themselves, right? Because I'm going to get it done, I'm going to get it done, I'm going to get it done, I'm going to get it done. And they're just nailing it. And they're, I'm going to be all the gifts because I'm the, I'm the body of Christ. I'm the body of Christ, you know? And they're just individualists. They think they're the body of Christ. I've never been guilty of that a day in my life. Lies. And, you know, like, what ends up happening is it's really easy to, to get to a place where, for, for that kind of person, to just see myopically. What's in front of me? What did God give me to do? Here's my job. Here's my task. Here's my mission. I'm going to keep going. And, and to the extent that I do that well, uh, you know, I'm good with God, you know? And God's proud of me. As if my ability to accomplish those things is going to affect God's opinion of me. As if the cross wasn't enough to affect God's opinion of me. You know, he washed me, cleansed me, but I'm still trying to accomplish something. You know, on the other hand, and and what ends up happening is that group of people, oftentimes, that what we do is we lose sight of the relationships. We just miss the ability to just be in the relationship. You know what I mean? Where we, that, that kind of driven personality that's getting it done and going after the mission, oftentimes what ends up happening is we're not just being with people. And we don't reveal Christ that way. And, and the whole relationship side of things can go missing. And, and we think that we got it. I got, my, I got my relationship with God. And what we don't realize is we desperately, desperately need the rest of the body in order for us to exist in relationship with God. And it's really important for that kind of person to begin to explore relationships in the church, to chill out a little bit with what they're doing and to begin to engage relationships more. Then there's another group of people in the church. And, and this is the, the, the other side of it. Okay, and this is the side of people in the church who think those are the gifts over there. Okay, they got the gifts. That's like just in Corinth when it was like there was those rock star gifts. It's the people over here. I don't really have a whole lot to offer. They have the gifts. We'll let them take care of everything. Okay, and I just want to be on the winning team. So they might be ball hogs, but I think they'll win the game. Okay, and so I want to be on their team. So I'm going to come and I'm going to join the team. But there's probably not a whole lot I'm going to I, I'm going to be able to do, or that I can do, or I don't really care if I do do it because I don't really feel like doing it anyway. So I'm just going to sit over here and not really do my part, and I'm going to let them do the part. They seem perfectly happy to be ball hogs, and uh, and I don't really feel like working out that hard to be in shape to play the game or whatever. So I'm going to sit over here, you know. And that group of, of people, they just kind of like sit in, you know. And they don't necessarily say, what are my gifts? How can I be a part? How can I play? How can I help? You know, what, what is God calling me to do to help out the body? And what they don't realize is, is their own lack of effort is not just a drain on their own spiritual life, but it becomes a, a sieve where the spirit of God just gets, just goes right down through the, uh, through the church and we lose stuff because the gifts over here, the people who should only be doing probably this and this, they're trying to do everything and the best, the best gifts they have aren't actually functioning well anymore because they're compensating for all the other gifts, you know? Does this sound like, if you put this back in the political world, do you understand how this fits politically? You understand that when it comes to like how, you know, there's like, let me just break this down for you. Over, over here is the Democrats, okay? And the Democrats say, take care of everyone. 
And there's people who are hurting, who are needy, and we're all in it together. Spread the money out and take care of everyone. Take care of those who are hurting. And, and so each person is important. Notice the diversity and care for those who are hurting. And over here's the Republicans who, you know, there's, and, and we're saying like each person has to step in and take care of their own stuff and let them have freedom and take care of their own stuff. And then you have questions about welfare, you know, where people over here are going to say, well, if we don't have wel- welfare, then what we don't have is we have people who are hurting who aren't be, don't have affection and people over here are saying yeah but if we have welfare then they're never going to learn to take responsibility and you know and you have this thing that goes back and forth all the time right and and we talk about it in terms of one of them being moral and the other not someone in between the services said this to me they said have you ever noticed that in some ways democrats feel it seems like they have like the whole thing of morality going like take care of the poor and then there's like baby killing attached to it whoa you know like that's a it's a big statement but like you understand where morality gets defined based in these camps in the political world, but it also gets defined that way inside of the spiritual world. And what I mean is, is when I'm sitting over here, I think that church is all about my relationship to people, okay? And connecting with people and making sure that we all love each other and we're connected. But over here, you know, we have... Over here, it's like, no, it's about God and it's about getting done what God wants us to get done. And there's a tension between those who just kind of want to hang out and be connected and those who want to get things done. And for many of us, that tension exists within us, not just from one person to another. We recognize, man, God's calling us to accomplish stuff, but I'm also supposed to just rest in the presence of God. Now, here's the thing. Let me, let me uh, relieve you of the political conversation by saying this. Politics, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, politics aren't going to be able to solve any of these problems. Republicans and Democrats, whoever gets in office, they're not going to fix the problems of the poor. You know why? Because it's not the job of the government to take care of the poor. You know whose job it is? Ours. It's ours. When it comes to accomplishing what needs to be accomplished in our world, it's not the job of businesses just to get everything done. Do you realize that the pillar and the foundation of truth, according to Scripture, is the church. Defining what the purpose of humanity is and the mission of humanity and how we accomplish it. It's the church's job to define that. And so often we want politics to solve things. And we as the church very easily pull an arrow out of our quiver and shoot it at politicians all the time. And believe me, the politicians are a complete and total mess and they deserve all the arrows they get. But so do we, much more than them as the church. Because the work that needs to get done in our world is the work of the Spirit of God. And the relationships and the care that need to happen in this world is the care of Jesus Christ himself. Not just the care of individuals who are in the church. Not just the work of individuals in the church. We actually need Jesus to do his work. We actually need Jesus to care for the poor. And what he said is, when he died and he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven and he came back down on the day of Pentecost, he filled up his church so that we could be his hands. We could be his feet. We 
could be his body. We could be the being, the caring, the present body of Christ. And we could be those with the power of Christ to accomplish what it is that needs to be done in our world. The spirit of the living God lives within his church, but it lays dormant most of the time because the ligaments that bind the body together have been trashed and ruined. And we don't have bonds of trust and love that allow us to accomplish and be all that we are supposed to do and be because we are still hung up on our own sense of individual identity. And we've lost the fact that we are not our own, but we belong to one body, the body of Christ. And when we come to be aware of the fact that I am not my own, then I understand over here that no matter how much I can try to get my task done, it doesn't matter because I can get my task done, but Jesus won't be revealed. So the job won't be accomplished until if I'm a driven individual who, who's you know, really gifted and got this thing or whatever, then I got to say, Jesus isn't being revealed from this. I have to learn to connect with the body and let this be a broader thing if Jesus is going to be revealed. And if over here, I, I'm over here, I got to get to a place where I'm saying, my life is not my own. My comfort isn't what's important. My fear doesn't matter. I have to understand that God gave me a gift and it is absolutely essential to the functioning of the kingdom of God. And it is my responsibility to say, what did God give me to do? Who did he call me to be? There is not a person in this room, I promise you, there is not a person in this room who has given their life to Christ who doesn't have a job to do in the kingdom of God. Not one. There is not one person in this room who has given their life to Jesus Christ, who is a part of his church, who doesn't have a job to do in the church. Every single one of us has a job to do. And when our job isn't being done, that job goes unfulfilled. And then others try to pick up the slack. And it ends up getting heavier and more and more distorted. And over here, the the group of people who, if, if we are accomplishing things on our own, it's not Jesus being revealed. It's only more and more efforts of a person being revealed. And in the end, the character of Jesus isn't going to be revealed. It's going to be a bunch of really frustrated, stressed out people who are trying to do stuff to make it look like it's actually Jesus doing the work when it's not actually him doing the work anymore. You know? And so what Paul's saying, he says, there's a diversity of gifts. There's a whole bunch of them. And learn to acknowledge and appreciate that they're all there. And don't pick up the slack for all the other gifts. Let it fall. And encourage other people to step into it. And secondly, is that each of us has individual responsibility. And we got to make sure that we're carrying our weight in this thing as well. You know? And it's very important that we don't drag everyone else down. When I fail to step into my call in the kingdom of God, it doesn't just affect me. It affects everybody. If I'm too afraid to step into my spiritual gift, that doesn't just affect my life. It affects the body of Christ. And others have to pay for it. And so it's important that we take courage and we step out in faith and we own our job. But it's also important that we invest into the ligaments of the body. And those ligaments are the relationships. And we learn to slow down and to ask each other what's really going on and to have each other over for dinner and say, all right, I know there's a ton to do, but let's cut it for a second and get together and hang out and learn to know and love and appreciate one another and learn to engage the diversity. Because even in this church, in this local church, do you realize there's a massive amount of diversity in this church? Economically, we're all across the board. 
that we have people from a number of different countries who are represented at times in this church. When it comes to spiritual gifts, oh my gosh, they're all over the place, you know? And God has just breathed his gifts. He's breathed his gifts among us. And until we learn to see those other gifts, acknowledge those other gifts, and learn that our lives are not our own, but they're God's and they belong to the body of Christ, and that we'll only see the fullness of that when we engage one another, until then, our relationship with God will not be and cannot be all that he designed for it to be. And we won't be able to accomplish all that he's asked us to do. We are the body of Christ, which is a high calling, extremely high calling. Fortunately, he didn't ask us to do it. He said, it's already done. I died on the cross. I rose from the dead. I came back. I'm in you. We just have to believe it. We have to believe it and acknowledge it and recognize what I can't do. There are others here among us who actually can do, you know? And we have to learn to build those bridges with each other and empower each other and work for each other. And instead of being stuck on what it is that I got to do, I got to worry about what it is that dad wants done. He wants this building built and he wants us to work together at it. And let's not get hung up on just our own slice of the pie, but let's work as a team and love one another. Let's pray.